0: Good morning again. Uh, Please turn with me to Mark, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. There's a lot we could say about Mark this morning, uh, but I think it's enough to say two things. First, the whole book of Mark tells us that Jesus has come as king, but that he's not the king people thought he was going to be. The Jews were expecting a political king, who would come down, he'd smite their enemies, and he'd establish the rule of God forever on earth. Instead, we see a king who suffers, and serves, and teaches, and bleeds. And this was, this was not the king they expected. And so they rejected him, ultimately condemning him to death as a blasphemer. Second, it's important to clarify what Mark means by wilderness in this passage. He uses it... <clears throat> And uh, as many of you know, the, the Greek word that Mark uses for wilderness doesn't mean like a forested, grassy, treed area um, like we tend to think of when we think of wilderness. Uh, he means, uh, a better translation would be desert. It's rocky, it's dry, it's barren, it's hot. Uh, that's the wilderness that we encounter in Mark. Well, already in our passage this morning, Mark starts to show us a God who does not act as we would expect him to. In fact, we meet a God who acts almost completely the opposite of what we would expect him to. The Jews in Jesus' day were looking for a king to follow, but they weren't ready to follow this king. And our question this morning is not, will we serve a God, but will we serve this God? Please follow along with me as I read Mark 1. Verses 12 to 15. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, him being Jesus, and he was tempted, or he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Pray with me. Father, we know that uh, no truth from this scripture comes to us except for what you teach us. Uh, We pray this morning that you would would meet us here and and guide us in the spirit to, to learn something about you. To see a truth about you we didn't see before, to love you again for the truths we've known for a long time. I pray, God, that uh, you would work in our hearts and that uh, your words would go out and that your truths would be spoken and that you would change lives. We give this morning to you in Jesus Christ's holy name and all God's people said, Amen. I remember the day that I decided to quit working with homeless kids. I'd spent a year and a half with a faithful group of people, persevering through the trials of homeless ministry, and I was left completely disillusioned. I could still picture the flyer I'd seen on on, on the ground. I just found it on the ground one day that that got me started at the homeless ministry. And on the cover was this boy's face, and it was dirty, and he had this cold, distant look in his eyes, and, and his hair was dusty, like... He'd spent a month in the wilderness, and, and I, remember, I remember the mandatory weekend that I attended uh, before you could volunteer there. They had a weekend of training, and I remember walking away from that weekend of training with a great vision of how homeless ministry was going to be, and I had a vision of these just cute abandoned orphans coming up the stairs and, and asking for food and for new clothes, and we would be there with a smile, and we would hand out food and new clothes, and, and we would serve the Lord who loves orphans and be glad in it. Never mind that the training covered topics like like drug abuse or violence or gang affiliations or the need to take care of your own spiritual life or you'd never make it through that first month. But I thought I knew how it was going to be and that was that. But of course it wasn't that. It wasn't anything like that. My first day I showed up and Uh, The doors opened, and these two boys came up the stairs who looked like grown men. And they were high and incoherent, and and it didn't match the picture. Uh, Over the next few months, there'd be many, many times that the reality of serving God didn't match the picture. And my disillusionment grew. Soon I was in a spiritual wilderness of my own, feeling dry and forgotten by God, it reached a head one week when, when our, our window, our front door window was smashed for the second time and a boy threatened the life of one of our volunteers. God, what's the deal? Um, here we are serving you as faithfully as we know how. And we're pouring ourselves into these kids and we're persevering through these hardships, and and this is what we get. We get our window smashed again. We get lives threatened. Why would God give us a vision for a fruitful ministry with these kids if the reality looked more like the wilderness? And that was the first time I decided to quit. Because the fact is, following this God isn't easy. And when our vision doesn't match our reality, we grow disillusioned, and we want to quit. We commit ourselves to God, and we experience His warmth and His blessing, and, and his, his presence. And then when, when things start rolling along and we think things are going well, all of a sudden we, we, we're in the wilderness. And the streams that we drank from yesterday are nowhere in sight. What do you do when the Lord leads you to the mountaintop and then to the wilderness? This morning our passage addresses this very question. May I propose to you that because... God is the God of the wilderness. We must persevere. Okay, Andrew, that sounds nice. But how does that help? What does that even mean? God is the God of the wilderness. And how does that help me persevere through what I'm going through today? Well, may I suggest that saying God is the God of the wilderness means three things for us this morning. First, it means... God knows the wilderness personally. Second, it means God chose the wilderness for His Son and for His people. And third, God shows us that the wilderness ends. By exploring these three truths, we can find strength to persevere. Let's look at these one at a time. So first, God knows the wilderness. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Mark's account of, of Jesus' time in the wilderness is strikingly short; it's two verses, especially compared to the accounts that we get in the other Gospels, which are a lot longer. Here we get just the bare minimum. We see Jesus sent in the wilderness for forty days. We see him tempted by Satan. We see angels attend to him. There's no mention of how Satan specifically tempted Jesus. And, in fact, Mark doesn't even tell us that Jesus successfully resisted those temptations. Which seems a weird thing to omit. Why? Well, because Mark's primary concern was that we get the significance of the fact that God knows the wilderness personally. He writes as simply as he possibly can, so that there's no way we miss this. Remember, if you were here the last time I preached, we we talked how how Mark has already stated that Jesus is Yahweh come down to earth, that, that God himself has come down to earth in the person of Jesus. And Mark wants us to know that God himself knows the experience of walking through the wilderness personally. In fact, the few details that Mark does include serve only to emphasize the brutal rawness of the wilderness that Jesus walked through. Satan was there. The wild animals were there. In fact, Mark is the only gospel writer that mentions that wild animals were there. Why? Well, because Jews at this time viewed the wilderness as as the haunt of demonic forces and wild beasts. Mark wants us to get that this was not a spiritual retreat for Jesus. Jesus suffered through the brutal heart of the wilderness. To see the importance of that, we've got to ask, why does that matter? Why does it matter that that God walked through the heart of the wilderness, that He knows it? How does that help us to persevere through the wilderness today? Let's ask ourselves, what difference does it make when I'm hurting to know that someone else has already gone through the same thing? Is there a comfort in knowing that another has felt what you feel, has struggled through your struggles, has persevered through the same trials you're going through? Pastor Bird has been preaching through Hebrews, and in Hebrews 2.18 we read, because he, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted Or again, in chapter 4, verse 15, we read, We do not have a high priest, again talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This principle seems to be ingrained in the very nature of us as human beings. When, when parents grieve the loss of a child, they seek out others who have grieved the loss of their children. When we discover cancer in our bodies, we find support in others who have fought the same battle. When former alcoholics find sobriety and they struggle, they find strength in groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, where they meet others who have faced the same struggles and persevere. I remember the frustration of my friend's voice as as we chatted on the phone my freshman year of college. It was difficult to hear him because as we talked, he would be drowned out by another student in the room behind him, shouting, asking my friend again and again to drive him to the local bar. Come on, man, come on. And the scene was indicative of the frustration that my friend had that entire year, struggling to persevere in the midst of a spiritual wilderness. A key, he said, to getting through that was when he and a small group of freshmen from his same hometown started meeting with a couple older students from that same hometown. Suddenly, getting through that wilderness seemed not only possible, but likely, as they realized that they could draw on the strength of somebody who knew that wilderness personally and had persevered. Folks, how much greater is our strength as we follow a God who knows the wilderness personally and persevere? Which leads us to our second point, and that is God chose the wilderness. And he chose it in two ways. First, he chose it for his own son. And second, he chooses it for his people. So first, his own son. Look at the beginning of verse 12 again. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days. While I appreciate the New International Version of the Bible, I believe we find a richer meaning in this particular verse by turning to the English Standard Version, or the ESV for short. The Greek word sent here is ekbalo, and it means to cast out. It's it's actually the same word Mark uses to describe the exorcism of demons. Demons. It's it's a word with great force. And so the ESV translates this verse, immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Now it's important to note that this doesn't mean that the Spirit forced Jesus to do something he didn't want to do. That's not the connotation here. Rather, it shows us that this was a path that God chose to walk and there could be no other way. God chose the wilderness for his own son. What difference does this make? What difference does it make to to those of us wandering through the wilderness today? Is there any comfort in the fact that God did not even spare his own child from the pain of the wilderness? His beloved son, in whom he is well pleased. In fact, the verse right before our section says, you are my son, whom I love. This is God speaking from heaven about Jesus at his baptism. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then the very next verse, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. So God chose the wilderness, first for his son, second for his people. Look at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Again, there's something happening in the Greek here that's worth noting. The term translated put into prison, so John was put into prison, means to hand over. And this is the same word that Mark uses to speak of Jesus' betrayal in the garden when he was handed over. And Mark uses what we call the divine passive voice. It's pretty common construction in Greek. And and it, it simply means the author wants us to know that God is the one acting in this particular situation what it means. So what's happening to John, Mark is explicitly saying, is in accordance with God's will. Think about that for a minute. John is arrested, handed over, and it is all in accordance with God's will. We can't miss what Mark is teaching here. God chose the path of the wilderness for his own son, and he's choosing it here for his people. But this is not a new revelation. The story of all of Scripture is the story of a God who chooses the pain of the wilderness to shape his people. In Exodus, way at the beginning, we see the birth of the Israelite nation when God rescues them out of Egypt and leads them into the wilderness for 40 years. And it's in the heat of the wilderness that he shapes them into his people. It was in the wilderness that Moses met God at the burning bush. It was in the hot, dry wilderness that Elijah learned to serve the Lord. When John the Baptist arrives, he is the voice of one calling in the wilderness. His entire ministry takes place in the wilderness, and it's in the wilderness that Jesus begins his own ministry. You see, we we serve a God who chooses the pain of the wilderness to shape his people. Speaking with a friend this week, he made the comment that we serve the God who wounds to heal. We serve the God who wounds to heal. Being the son of a doctor, I've had a few opportunities to go in and watch my dad work. I remember one time, we're sitting at home, and we get a phone call, and uh, a young boy had split his forehead open, and he was in need, of, in need of immediate care. So we rode into the office, and I remember watching as my dad stitched him back together. What's strange about the process is that before you heal the wound, you poke new ones. And it seems strange that, that you would choose to wound in order to heal. If you didn't know what was going on, it would look terrifying. And even when you know what's going on, it can look terrifying. Is that not the same pattern our Father has taken with us? Again, we must ask, why does this matter? Why is it important that our God chooses the wilderness both for His Son and for His people? Why is it important that we know God chooses to wound in order to heal? Well, because it changes our entire outlook on the wilderness. It's not a place of punishment where an angry God sends the sinful to suffer. God sends His beloved, sinless Son into the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. And it's not a place reserved for lost people who couldn't stick to the path. God leads his people intentionally to the wilderness, and he has for centuries. Uh, it, It doesn't take the sting out of the wilderness. It doesn't make it any less hot doesn't make it any less uncomfortable. But we can take heart, knowing that our experience is within God's care, within His will, and that this is how He chooses to shape His people, and He has for centuries. Which leads us to our last point, and that is, God shows us that the wilderness ends. Mark ends the opening section of his gospel by zooming out, from the wilderness experience, and giving us a cosmic picture of where this world is heading. Look at verses 14 and 15. After John, again John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. What is Jesus saying here? What does he mean by the time has come? Or as the ESV puts it, the time is fulfilled. Well, Jesus is showing us where he fits in the entire story of human history. The story that began way back at creation with Adam. God put Adam into the perfect world he had created to have fellowship with him. His only request, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. God doesn't tell us why that's the only rule. Uh, But Pastor Tim Keller uh, comments that the fact that God doesn't tell us why that's the rule kind of tells us why that's the rule. He says, God created people in His image to worship Him, to pursue Him, to serve Him, to love Him, not for their own gain, but for the sake of loving the Creator. In asking Adam not to eat of the tree, he's saying, obey my law, not for your sake, but just because... You love me. For my sake, do not do this. But of course, Adam fails. He gives into the temptation to eat and he breaks his fellowship with God. And the whole world suffers the consequences. The perfect creation becomes tainted. The one thing man was created for, to love and serve the Creator in perfect relationship becomes marred. Men replace the one true God with gods of their own design and they follow them instead. But God doesn't give up. See, in Exodus we read how he chooses a new nation for himself, freeing the Israelites from Egypt, leading them into the wilderness so that they would learn to rely on his strength and listen to his voice again. But just like Adam, they too fall away. And so begins this cycle of God's loving call to his people and then their disobedience. Now Jesus comes and he says, the time is fulfilled. I, Jesus, will bring the kingdom of God to earth. I will open the door for men to to once again have fellowship with God. For men to live as they were designed to live. I will enter into the wilderness. I will suffer wounds to heal my people. Ultimately, we know Jesus suffers the cross. He dies the death our disobedience deserved. And for what? To make a way for us to once again walk with our Creator as we were designed to do. The kingdom of God is not fully here yet. Men do not follow God perfectly in our time. You don't have to look far to realize that. But the Bible teaches that when when Christ came, he brought the kingdom of God to earth. God will rule as ultimate king once again, and we see the beginnings of this kingdom. As Pastor Burt mentioned, prophecies have an immediate fulfillment and a long term. The kingdom of God was inaugurated with Jesus coming to earth. And it's not fully fulfilled yet. But every time a person repents and turns from their own way and believes in Christ as their king and starts to follow his way, we see that kingdom coming. And we're told the time is coming when Christ will will come to earth again and at, at that point, the kingdom of God will be made full. And once again, we will walk with God as Adam did in the garden. We will have perfect fellowship with him. And this world will be as God created it to be. This wilderness will end. I do not know how long the wilderness you're walking through will last. I cannot promise you an immediate end to your struggles. Because the Bible doesn't tell me that. For Jesus in this passage, his his wilderness experience was 40 days. For John, the wilderness of his imprisonment didn't end. We find out in chapter 6 that he died while still in chains. But even in this we have hope. Because we know that no wilderness will hold us forever. There will come a day when the wilderness ends. Not because we've made it, but because Christ has destroyed it. It will end, and it will never return. And the faithful will live in the kingdom of God once again. So take heart. Persevere. Because your God is the God of the wilderness. And He has shown us that it will not last forever. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful when we are faithless. You work in ways that we don't understand and yet you reveal these things to us. Lord, speak to our hearts. Let us test these things to see if they're true. And let us worship you, Lord. Father, thank you so much that you've chosen to reveal any of this to us. And we praise you, God, because you are a God who loves us in ways we can never understand, who has given for us in ways we'll never understand, and who has persevered through the wilderness in ways we couldn't begin to. Father, give us strength today, I pray, for whatever we're facing. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.